Amen. All right, well, we're there in 1 Peter chapter number 5, and I want you to look down at verse number 4 in the chapter. It says, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. We've been going through, this is now the sixth week in a uh, series on the subject of uh, the crowns. And this is actually the last sermon in this series. Next Sunday night, we'll begin a brand new series on uh, the life of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and we'll be studying the life of the patriarchs. But here you find, we find the fifth crown mentioned in the Bible. We talked about the incorruptible crown. We talked about the crown of rejoicing. We talked about the crown of righteousness, and we talked about the crown of life. Here, the Bible mentions this crown of glory. And what I want you to understand is that generally speaking, and we'll see it here from the text, the crown of glory is a crown that is given to a pastor, all right? And, uh, and, but it's not just to any pastor. It has to be a good pastor, you know? It has to be someone that didn't just fill the position of a pastor, but he has to meet certain things that he did in his ministry. And we can find it in this passage. And I know that None of you are pastors, you know. I'm preaching to myself tonight, I guess. But, um, you know, it's, it's good uh, for you to learn, and I want to teach you just a few things about the pastor. And you may think, well, that's kind of weird to preach a sermon. You're the pastor, preach a sermon about the pastors. Here's the thing. Who else is going to preach it? You know what I mean? I mean, it's my job to teach the Word of God, and I want to teach you some things about a pastor and uh, things that you should expect from me and things that I should expect from you. And we'll look at them uh, together. I realize it's Mother's Day. We'll try not to spend a long time. We'll go through it as quickly quickly as we can. If you look down at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 1, I'd like you to notice the Bible says, the elders which are among you, I exhort. Peter says, I'm exhorting and speaking to the elders which are among you. And then notice what he says. He says, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. If you're taking notes tonight, or I'd encourage you to take notes if you're able to, uh, I'd like you to write down and maybe write there next to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1, just write down this word, the position. I want you to notice that the Bible speaks of the, a position called a pastor. He says, the elders which are among you I exhort. He says, I'm talking, when I say the word elder, he said, I'm talking to a specific group of people that meet a position. And then he says, who am also an elder. He says, I'm an elder. Now keep your finger there in 1 Peter 5. That's our text for tonight. We're going to leave there and come back. But I'd like you to go to 1 Timothy chapter number 3. Now if you go backwards in your Bible, you're going to go past... you're going to, starting there at 1 Peter, you're going to go past James, Hebrews, Philemon, Titus, 2 Timothy into 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And look at verse number 1. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 1. I'd like you to notice what the Bible says. It says, this is a true saying. Now, I want you to notice this phrase. It says, if a man desire, you know, underline this in your Bible, if you don't mind underlining. If, if a man desire the office of a bishop. Now, I want you to know this, and I don't have time to develop this. Uh, you can study this out on your own. But in the Bible, you've got three terms that are used for a pastor. Elder, pastor, and bishop. All those three terms are used interchangeably throughout Scripture. They're all referring to the same position, to the same person. Uh, all three of them deal with a different aspect of his job. The word bishop, we'll see here in a minute, has to do with overseeing, administration, ruling, leading. Uh, the, the word elder has to do with uh, spiritual maturity. And we'll see in the Bible later on in the sermon that it's not talking about just physical, but spiritually, uh, whoever the pastor is needs to be 
mature. They need to not be a novice. They need to know what they're talking about. They need to know what the Bible uh, says. And then, of course, you've got the word pastor, which deals with uh, people ministry, dealing with people, ministering to people, being there for people, shepherding people. Those are the three terms, and they deal with those different connotations. But I want you to notice that the Bible says that there is an office of a bishop. Peter said that he was speaking to a position, to the elders, and then he said, you know, who I am also an elder. And, and you say, well, why are you making a big deal about this? Go, go back to First Peter chapter uh, 5. But here's what I want you to understand. Today there is an attack on the position of a pastor. And today there are people who teach that, you know, a scriptural pastor as we know it is, is unscriptural, they'll say. They'll say that churches should not have pastors. In fact, you know, the, 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 the home church movement, which our church started in a home, but it was a church that was just meeting in a house, you know, until we got another building or whatever. And, and a building is not a church, you know. We could be meeting under a tree somewhere, and as long as we're gathered together, because we're a congregation, we are a church. But today there's the home church movement who actually teaches that, you know, there should be no pastor. There should be no leader. That, you know, it's just kind of let's all get together and then just let the men of the church just kind of all lead. And they'll have these services where like 30, you know, I say 30 guys, but they'll have like three or four guys preach. And like none of them really preach and, you know, they just kind of share from the Bible or whatever. But the Bible teaches that there is an office of a bishop. And that office has qualifications. There's things that a man has to meet to be able to uh, be the pastor of a church. And, and don't let anybody trick you into thinking that like, oh no, a pastor's not needed, or it's, it's not a position, or it's just, you know, all the guys in the church are kind of the elders, or all the guys in the church are kind of the leaders. No, the Bible says, it says, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires the good work. It's a position that someone takes. It's a place that one takes. So one, we see there the position of a pastor. Now let me explain this. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 5, and I want you to notice verse number 2. The office of a pastor is a position of authority. The office of a pastor is a position of authority. Notice 1 Peter chapter 5, look at verse 2. He says, feed the flock of God which is among you. We're going to come back to that statement here in a minute. But then he says this, taking the oversight thereof. The Bible tells us here when he said, I want to exhort the elders and I've got a, a lesson for the elders. He refers to them and he tells them to take the oversight. And if you, if you were to go back and look at uh, uh, you know, the, the Greek underlying terms in our King James Bible, you would find that the same word translated oversight or overseer is also translated bishop. It's talking about the same position. And here's what you need to understand. Not only does the Bible talk about the fact that there is a position of a pastor, that, that there should be a pastor in every church, and it's not just, you know, let's all get together at somebody's house, sit around a bunch of couches, and just you know, why don't you share, brother, and why don't you tell us what you think, and why don't you tell us what you think, but there should actually be a man that meets certain qualifications, and then the Bible teaches us that that position is a position of authority. It's, it's a position of someone taking oversight and administration and someone deciding and ruling is what the Bible says. Let me show it to you. Keep your finger there in 1 Peter 5. Go to Hebrews chapter number 13. Hebrews chapter number 13. Now you're in 1 Peter, so just go backwards past James and into the book of Hebrews. When you get to Hebrews, do me a favor and put a 
bulletin or a ribbon or something there because we're going to leave Hebrews 13 and we're going to come back to it often. There's several things I want you to see in Hebrews 13. So we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. So the sooner you can get to it, the better. Hebrews chapter 13, notice verse number 7. Hebrews chapter number 13 and verse number 7. The Bible says, remember them. And I want you to notice this phrase, which have the rule over you. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Go down to verse number 17. Notice what he says in verse number 17 of the same chapter. He says, obey them. In verse 7, he said, remember them. In verse 17, he says, obey them. Obey who? That have the rule over you. Notice what he says. And submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. See, today, when someone teaches, and, and I get, you know, emails about this, and people will send me YouTube videos that I don't watch. And, you know, let me just say, if you, I'm, right now I'm, I'm talking to the online people that listen online. If you send me videos from YouTube, I'm not going to watch them, okay? So just stop sending them. Uh, I'm not interested. I don't have the time. But, you know, they'll, you have these guys, and it's funny because none of them, you know, they're not leading anyone. The, you, 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 when you do look at these videos for a second, it's like some guy just sitting in front of a camera in his garage or something. And he's trying to explain to you why, like, the position of a pastor is unscriptural and why, like, you know, we should just all get together and all the guys should lead and all the guys should be in charge. But listen, the Bible says that someone is supposed to take oversight and someone is supposed to rule. And notice... In verse 17, he says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. Notice this, as they that must give account. See, with, it's not just about ruling. It's that the guy who's ruling, the guy who's leading, the guy who's making decisions, he's going to have to give an account for what was done under his watch. That's why at Verity Baptist Church, and I'm not trying to offend you or hurt your feelings, but that's why Verity Baptist Church... You know, people, I mean, people come up to me with so many suggestions. They'll go to my wife with all these suggestions. You know, we should do this at church, and we should do that at church. And, you know, I try to be polite and listen to people's suggestions. But you know what? At the end of the day, it's my choice. And here's the thing. You say, well, well, you know, and half the time, I don't really care what people think. You know, well, I think you should do this, and I think you should do that. But here's the problem is that I'm the one that will give account for what was done at Verity Baptist Church. I'm the one that will be held accountable. That's why God has said, hey, I'm going to hold the pastor accountable for what was done in his ministry. So he needs to rule and he needs to have the oversight and he needs to decide, you know, in the direction in which the church is going. And, and today, and even, you know, you'll have some legitimate churches that will say, well, we have a pastor who's the administrative pastor, and then we have another pastor who's the, you know, discipleship pastor, and we have another pastor who's the teaching pastor. But listen, all of that needs to be brought under one umbrella because that one guy is the one that's going to stand before God and give an account for what was done. That one guy is the one that's going to be judged. So the office of a pastor... I want you to understand, there is a position of a pastor, and it's a position of authority. It's one that ought to rule. You ought to submit yourselves to that authority. Now, how far do we take that? Well, let's, let's talk about that, because I want you to understand, you know, how this works. At Verity Baptist Church, we are a scriptural church. This is a pastor-led church. We do not have, you know, a board of anything. We don't have a board of deacons that runs the church. We don't have a board of directors that runs the church. Basically, you know, the pastor runs the church, and I just have to make sure that everything I'm doing goes with the Word of God. 
And as long as I can prove it from the Word of God, then that's the direction we go. And here's what you need to understand, and here's what I want you to understand. The position of a pastor is a position of authority, but some people do take it to an extreme. In fact, I've been a part of a church where, like, the I mean, it was borderline cultish, the way people treated the pastor. I mean, it was like every little decision you made had to be run by the pastor, every little thing. I mean, everything needs to be run. Now, look, there's, there's a balance there, and I think people ought to keep the pastor in the loop about things that are going on within the church. But, but you know, we're not in a cult, okay? It's not like, you know, well, the pastor's it. No, no, no. The Word of God is it, and God, the, the Bible is it, and God and Jesus Christ, he's the head of the church. But there is someone in charge. There is someone who rules, who administers, who oversees, who looks at the direction of the church. Now, how far does that go? Well, are you there in 1 Peter chapter 5? Uh, chapter chapter Look at verse number 2. I don't know what that, chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, look at verse number 2. I think I united 5 and 2. My mind, sometimes I'm thinking faster than my mouth can talk, which is amazing because... I talk pretty fast. First Peter chapter 5, look at verse 2. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. Now notice what he says. Not by constraint. Says not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Notice verse 3. Neither as being lords. Now what does the word lord mean? It means boss. It means you're in charge. Remember we were talking about this morning? Sarah called Abraham Lord. Why? Because that was her boss. He was in charge. Now, notice what he says to a pastor, though. He says, hey, you are to take oversight. You are to rule. You are to be in charge, but not by constraint, but willingly. He says, neither is being lords over God's heritage. He says, at the end of the day, these are God's people. They're not my people. You're not here to serve me. We're all here together to serve God. You say, well, well, what is that balance? Here's what I want you to say. The office of a pastor is a position of authority. That's true. But the office of a pastor is a position of influence. See, I don't get up here and tell you, you have to do X, Y, and Z. You have to dress a certain way. You have to do this or you have to do that. See, it's a position of authority in the sense that I direct the church. I decide, you know, if we're going to have a guest speaker, I make that decision. You know, if we're going to have a special service or whatever, however the finances are used, you know, I make those decisions. I don't go around asking people, like, well, what do you think we should do? Now, I do ask people, what do you think we should do? But I'm just trying to get some counsel from wise people, and the Bible does talk about doing that. But, but I don't have to get permission within the church. The pastor is the authority. But I want you to understand this. His position is one of influence. See, what I do is I get up here every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and I try to teach you the Bible, and I try to teach it to you in a way where I influence you to try to do right. We don't tell anybody here, you got to dress this way, or you got to stop doing this, you got to believe this, you got to do that. But we'll get up and teach you the Bible, and we'll get up and try to uh, help you and exhort you and try to motivate you. Nobody, you know, nobody gets a, you know, it's not like I go around on Saturday morning with a gun and say, you better show up to soul winning, you know, uh, or, or else, you know. But yet, you know, we have 40, 50 people show up to salt winning every week. Why? Because we try to influence you to do something for God. He says, hey, you are to lead, but not by constraint, but willingly. Even last week when we took the special offering, I, I tried to make the, the, the plea that you would give willingly. 
Now, hopefully you did. Hopefully there's none of you sitting there, well, I wish I wouldn't have gave. I would have known how much was going to come in, you know. I mean, if you're thinking that, you shouldn't have gave. Your heart's in the wrong place. But my position is a position of authority, and my position is a position of influence. And, and you know, I want to emphasize this, because today you got people who just, you know, overstep boundaries, who just make decisions, say, well, we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. Listen to me. Everything that's done at Verity Baptist Church goes through me. And let me just make that clear. You know, because sometimes people think like, oh, well, I'll ask Miss Joanne. You know what? Miss Joanne is wonderful, and she's the greatest lady on earth, and I love her with all my heart. But listen, don't put her in a position where you're trying to get her to do something, because guess what? At the end of the day, I'm the one that decides. You know, people say like, oh, well, Miss Joanne's running this, or even like, well, Brother Stucky's running. No, Brother Stucky's not running anything. Brother Stucky's doing whatever I tell him to do. I'm the pastor. You go, well, Brother Stucky's a homeschool group. No, no, no. It's Pastor Jimenez's homeschool group. Everything, you say, well, all the rules that Mr. Joanne made. No, no, no. It's all the rules that Pastor Jimenez made for the homeschool group. It's all the rules that Pastor Jimenez made for soul winning. It's all the rules that Pastor Jimenez made for discipleship class. Everything that's sitting around here goes through me because I'm the leader. I'm in charge, and I'm the one that will give account. And it's, it's a position of authority, but it's a position of influence. We don't force anybody to do anything. We just try to influence you to do right. We just try to influence you to take a, the right lead. We just try to help you out. So number one, I want you to notice the position of a pastor. Number two, I'd like you to notice the performance of a pastor. I'd like you to notice the performance of a pastor. Go, go back to 1 Peter chapter 5, and I want you to notice verse number 2. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 2. 1 Peter 5, 2. Notice what it says. He says, feed the flock of God. Now, there are certain things that a pastor is supposed to do. And here's what's interesting. If you cross-reference 1 Peter 5, 2 to Acts 20, 28, you'll find that they're almost parallel passages. In fact, keep your place there in 1 Peter 5 and go with me to Acts chapter number 20. And I'd like you to notice verse number 28. Acts chapter number 20 and verse number 28. Acts chapter number 20 and verse number 28. The Bible says, Acts 20, 28 says, Take heed... Therefore, unto yourselves. Acts 20, 28. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now, you see how that's similar to 1 Peter 5, 2. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not a filthy looker, but of a ready mind. So we saw, number one, the position of a pastor. In a scriptural church, the pastor runs the show. In a scriptural church, the, and there are many things that I basically have told my wife, I don't really care about that. You do whatever you want, you know. I really don't, I could care less what the color scheme is for the ladies' team. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. So I just, you know, do whatever you want. But here's the thing, you know, people will often, it's funny because my wife, I mean, my wife is great. She's, she's always just telling people like, well, let me ask pastor. Let me run the by pastor. It's his decision, you know. But people will try to like pressure, like you make this decision. No, 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 no. It's a pastor's decision. She just happens to be the pastor's wife. So there's a position of, of, of authority. But I like to notice there's a performance. There's something that a pastor is supposed to be doing. And here's how you can gauge whether you've got a good pastor or a bad pastor. Now, some of you are going to just gauge bad, you know, just because you don't like me, right? But, you know, how, how do you know? Let's say I die and a new guy comes in. Or you move away and you go to another church. How do you know if your pastor is a good pastor? What is he supposed to be doing? Look at Acts 20, 28. Notice what he says. Number one, what a pastor is supposed to be doing is taking heed. 
take heed. Notice what it says. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves. The Bible tells a pastor that the first thing he's supposed to do is take care of himself. And, of course, with that idea is his family. You know, it's like when you get on an airplane, you know, and they tell you when that, when that thing drops down, they tell you, make sure you secure it on yourself before you try to secure it on someone else. It's a good general rule of thumb is in the Christian life, yeah, look, you need to make sure you are taking care of yourself spiritually, physically, emotionally, whatever that might be. And here he says, hey, a pastor needs to take heed, therefore, unto yourself. Look, there are times when I don't answer my phone. Many times when I don't answer my phone. There are certain hours of the day, that's just my family time. I, need, I can't put my, the, my ministry before my marriage or my ministry before my family. Now, you leave a message, and if it's an emergency, I'll call you back, I promise. But if it's just, hey, pastor, you know, I've got a question. It's your, your fifth random question of the week. I'm probably going to wait till the next day, okay? Because I've got some family time. I've got a wife to take care of. I've got children to take care of. And here he says, hey, look, take heed, therefore, unto yourself. He tells them, Take care of yourself spiritually. Take care of your family. Take care of your children. Now notice, he says, number one, take heed. Number two, I'd like you to notice, what is a pastor supposed to be doing, the performance of a pastor? To heed. Number two, to feed. Notice what he says, verse 28. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. And then he says this, to feed the church of God. The primary job of the pastor is to spiritually be feeding you and teaching you the Bible. Look, if you go to church and you're like, I've been there for a year and I've learned nothing. I mean, it's like there's no Bible being taught. There's nothing being taught. Then you're going to the wrong church. You're going to the wrong pastor. He's not doing his job if he's not feeding you because what a pastor is supposed to do is take heed, yes, but the next thing he's supposed to do is to feed. To feed the church of God. And uh, look at verse number 27. Notice, notice the, what, what goes into that. Acts 20, 27. He says, For I have not shunned. The word shun means to avoid or ignore. He says, I have not avoided. I have not ignored to declare unto you all the counsel of God. You say, how do you feed How do you feed the flock? Here's how you feed the flock. By not avoiding or ignoring anything. By teaching people everything the Bible says. I mean, if you are an example, you say, well, Pastor Jimenez, are you shunning to to preach anything? I mean, listen to this morning's sermon. Good night. I mean, was there anything that I just left out? If I left something out, it was just because I forgot about it, not because I was like, oh, no. You know, let me go ahead and talk about, you know, 12 controversial things, but I'm just going to keep this one off. Look, but here's the thing. You've got so many pastors, and and they're bad pastors, and here's why. It's not what they're saying, but what they're not saying. It's not what, you know, you you listen, you say, well, I listen to Joel Osteen, and everything sounded fine. Well, yeah, I don't know about that, but okay. You know, I listen to Rick Warren, and everything sounded fine. I listen to Charles Stanley, and everything he said sounded good. But here's the problem. It's not what they're saying that's bad, because what they're saying is probably good. But what are they not saying? What issue will they not, are they shunning? They're just saying, I'm not going to talk about the sodomites. I'm not going to talk about fornication. I'm not going to talk about drugs and alcohol because that's going to make people upset. What is it that they are shunning? Because here's what Paul said. He said, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. And my job as a pastor is just to teach you everything I know. And that's why I need to take heed unto myself 
Because here's the thing, if I teach you everything I know I'm gonna, and I don't keep learning, I'm going to run out of material, right? <laughs> so I need to be learning every day. I need to be reading the Bible every day. I need to be praying and memorizing and, 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 and studying every day so I can take heed unto myself, so I can feed myself, and then I can help feed you. What does a pastor do? He is to heed. He is to feed. And then, of course, he is to lead. Notice Acts 2.28. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseer. And we already talked about that. But the job of a pastor is to lead the people, is to be the leader. And the performance is to heed, to feed, to lead, because he's made you the overseer. Go back to 1 Peter 5. Look at verse number 2. 1 Peter 5. The, the devil sent a fly to bother me. 1 Peter chapter 5, or I don't know what that thing was and not. 1 Peter chapter 5, look at verse 2. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. Feed, lead, heed. So what do we have? Number one, the position of a pastor. It's a position of authority. It's a position of influence. The performance of a pastor. He is to feed you, lead you, and of course take heed unto himself. Now let's talk about this. How about the payment of a pastor. Because if you look at verse 2, 1 Peter 5, 2, notice what he says. Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Then notice what he says. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. So he says, hey, look, they shouldn't be doing what they're doing for filthy lucre. What's lucre? It's money. All right? Now, this is something that's, you know, there's a big debate about this today. You got the same home church, you know, people that say there shouldn't be pastors. And then here's what they say, and a pastor shouldn't get paid. And they say, you know, we need to just have 12 volunteer pastors. They're all just kind of, you know, all the guys in the church are basically the elders, and none of them are getting paid, and no one's making any money, you know, and, and, and it's wrong to pay pastors. In fact, the Mormon church teaches that it's wrong to pay pastors. And you've got this philosophy. But here's the question. What does the Bible say? Well, let's look at it together. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9 and look at verse number 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7. And I'm just kind of wanting to give you a philosophy of the position of a pastor. And there's qualifications for a pastor. And that, that would be a whole other sermon in and of itself. I'm not going to deal with that tonight. But, you know, really, this is kind of training for you. In, in case that, you know, I die and you get another pastor, I mean, I could die tomorrow. And you'd have to have another pastor step in here and become the pastor of Radio Baptist Church. And I hope that you will treat him, you know, as well as you've treated me, if not better. I hope you treat him better uh, than, 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 you, than, than you treat me. And you treat me great. But, uh, you know, I want to teach you what the Bible says about this position of a pastor so you understand what's supposed to be needed. So here's the question. Should a pastor get paid? Are you there in 1 Corinthians chapter 9? Look at verse number 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. And if the sermon seems extremely self-serving, you know, I apologize. I guess you just showed up for the sermon on pastors. I, I think this is probably the first sermon I've ever preached just on the subject of pastors. I can't think of any time I've done that. But let's look at it. 1 Corinthians 9, look at verse 7. Notice what Paul said. He said, who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? He says, who gets deployed? You know, who's in the military and they say, hey, we're going to send you to Iraq for eight months, but you got to pay your own plane ticket. And you got to buy your own weapons and you got to get your own uniform. 
because we're just not going to do that. I mean, what government, what nation has ever done that? And, and Paul's kind of just trying to help people understand. He says, who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Who planted the vineyard and eateth not the fruit thereof? He said, who takes the time to put the work in, to, pl- to, plant, you know, to, to plant a vineyard, to get something growing, and then when there's fruit that comes as a result, they just don't eat of it? He says, or who feedeth a flock? Who takes care of a flock? Who makes sure that a flock is reproducing and being fruitful and being healthy and taking care of them and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Notice what we're saying. Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also. He said, look, I'm not just speaking as a man up here. He says, look, this is what the Bible says. Look at verse 9. For it is written in the law of Moses. He's going to quote, he's going to quote the Old Testament. He says, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Now, he's giving a principle here, and he's saying, look, if you, because the Bible does teach this, he says, if you've got an ox, and he's plowing the field, He's working in the field, and he's doing his job. He says, you know what? Don't muzzle, because you know, the idea is that you would muzzle his mouth so that he couldn't open it. Some of you would love to do that to the pastor, right? So that he couldn't open your muzzle his mouth. So here's the thing. While he's plowing the field, he says, look, don't stop him from just eating as he goes. Because as he's out there working, he should just be able to just eat and feed himself as he's working. He says, look, he says, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. He says, if, if the ox is working, feed him. If the ox is working, take care of him. And he says, what is he talking about, you know, farming? I mean, what is he saying? Notice verse 9, doth God take care of our oxen? He said, does God really care about how you take care of your oxen? Now, God does care about how you take care of your oxen, obviously. But he's saying, you know, is this about oxen? Notice what he says, verse 10. Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, that is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and that he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. Here's what he's saying. If someone's working, Look, if you say, well, I've been coming to Verity Baptist Church for six months, or I've been coming to Verity Baptist Church for a year, or I've been coming to Verity Baptist Church for two or three years, and I've learned so much. I mean, there's so much that I didn't know about the Bible. It seems like every time I come, just the Word of God is explained, and, and I'm learning, and I'm growing, and I'm changing. My marriage is better, and my children are better. If you would say, hey, that's me, then here's the thing. If the ox is working, feed him. If the ox is plowing, then let him eat. He's saying, look, take care of the ox. Take care of the worker. Take care of the laborer. And if you don't think preaching is work, try it. And I'm not talking to you ladies, all right? You know, but look, it's hard work to, to study. I mean, ask these guys that preach, you know. It's hard work to read, study, meditate, you know, and then try doing it three times a week. And every single bit, every time, you better just, Pastor, you better just hit it out of the park every time. I mean, the Sunday night sermon better be better. It needs to be better than the Sunday morning sermon. And the next Wednesday sermon better be better than the last Sunday. I mean, it's like, you know, or we're going to get bored and never come back. You know, I mean, it's work to preach and teach the word of God. And here's what he's saying. He's saying if he's, if he, and I would hope you'd give me grace every once in a while, you know, if the sermons aren't the greatest. But here's what he's saying. If the ox is working, feed him. Now, notice, notice the application. Verse 11. If we have sown unto you spiritual things... Is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? He said, here's what he's saying, and let's bring it down, you know, to, to, to application. He's saying, if the pastor got up and preached sermons that help your marriage, 
Is it that big of a deal if you buy his groceries? I mean, it's like if the pastor got up and is helping you rear your children for the glory of God, is it that big of a deal that you help him pay his mortgage? I mean, that's what he's saying. Notice, he said, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If others be partaker of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? Now, here's what is funny, because he's using these illustrations from the Old Testament. You know, muzzle not the ox that treadeth out the corn, right? Well, then here, he's using another illustration from the Old Testament. He begins to speak about the Old Testament priests. Notice what he says. He says, do ye not know that they which minister about the holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, don't you know that in the Old Testament, the priests that worked at the temple, when they made sacrifices and they did those things, they lived off the the sacrifice of the temple. Now, here's what's interesting. The home church movement today will say, pastors are unscriptural, paying a pastor is unscriptural, and here's what they'll say, tithing is unscriptural. And they're wrong on all of it. And they're wrong on most all of it, on most everything, you know. And, here, and here's the thing. They'll say, you shouldn't pay a pastor and you shouldn't tithe. But here's the funny thing. Paul says, you ought to pay the pastor the same way that the priest got paid in the Old Testament. Well, let me ask you this. How did the priest get paid in the Old Testament? People brought their tithe as a sacrifice. They did the work of the altar. You know, they, they had, because, you know, in those days, they didn't live in Babylon, you know, they didn't live in the coming New World Order. Their, their economy, their currency, they had money, but their currency was basically, you know, I have 100 sheep. I'm going to give 10 of those sheep to God. I've got, you know, 50 ox. I'm going to give five of those to God. And they would literally bring these animals as their, te- or, or whatever, you know, corn or whatever flour, whatever they, they, they were having, they would bring 10% of that to the temple. And then here's what the priests would do. They would take those 10 sheep, they would do the work of, of cutting them up and sacrificing them, doing all that work. And then, you know what they'd do? They'd eat the sheep. And they'd feed their family. And they lived off the things of the temple, and they lived off the tithe. And, and now notice, notice what he says, verse 13. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? Notice verse 14. Don't mince this. Even so, he says, in the same way hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. He says, look, in the same way that the Old Testament priest got, uh, got taken care of physically and financially, he says, that's how you ought to take care of the New Testament pastor that's preaching the gospel. If he preaches the gospel, then he should live from the gospel. So what is he saying? He's saying, bring your 10% to the house of God like they brought their 10% to the house of God and let him live off of that and take care of him financially. If he has sown your spiritual things, then we should... Re- and here's what I think is funny about the home church movement. They're, they're like, no pastors, don't pay a pastor, and don't tithe. And it's like, look, you're wrong on all of it. And, but here's the thing. If they had a pastor that would get up and teach them the word of God, they wouldn't be wrong on it. But because they're just the blind leading the blind. There's just a bunch of guys sitting around in a circle, you know, talking about the Bible. But here's the problem is half of these people don't read the Bible. They're, they spend, you know, six hours a week on YouTube, and they read six verses of the Bible because they've got to have something to say after a little Bible study. 
And, you know, they're wrong on so many doctrines because they don't have a pastor and they need a pastor. 1 Peter chapter 5, look at, look at verse number 2, 1 Peter chapter 5. So the Bible is clear that a pastor should get paid. And obviously, you know, let me explain this because sometimes I think like, do I really have to explain everything? But, uh, you know, I realize that you're not in the church world for the most part. You don't understand. Let me ex- make something clear. It's not like everything you put in the offering just like, Pastor Jimenez gets it all. Okay, that's not how it works, all right? That's illegal. That's how you end up in prison, all right? So we don't, it's not like, because people, I mean, people literally think like, oh, oh, so you just take the offering and then just deposit it into your personal account? It's like, no, that's how you go to prison, okay? It doesn't work that way. Obviously, we have to pay rent. Obviously, we have to pay the electric bill. Obviously, we have to pay insurance. We have to pay gas. We budget. We have a, you know, the pastor gets paid a certain amount, and we got guys that help us with those things. And, you know, uh, so it's, you know, just don't think like, oh, if I put this in the offering, then pastor's just going to, you know, go live somewhere or whatever, uh, you know, some nice house or whatever. That's not how it works. But the idea is this, that a pastor should get paid from the tithes that come in. If he's doing work, if he's doing the work, then he ought to get paid. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5, look at verse 2. Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly... And notice the phrase, not for filthy lookers. So here's, here's what I want you to understand. Pastors should get paid for preaching. But pastors should not preach to get paid. Do you understand what I just said? Pastors should get paid for preaching. If they're working and they're laboring, then you ought to pay them. But they ought not be preaching to get paid. And here's the thing. Look, for the first, I don't remember, three years of our church, I worked a full-time job and preached three times a week and went soul winning and, and we did everything that we do now. You know, so obviously, you know, was I doing it for money? I wasn't doing it for money back then. But as soon as the church got big enough to be able to pay me a salary, then it's right for the church to pay a salary. And it's right for the pastor to get paid. Let me give you another, another verse on this. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. I, wanna, I want you to understand this because this is something that people, and I, I hear this a lot. I mean, people will come to our church and say, you know, they're like, we're trying to decide whether this is a, a, a church we want to go to. And they'll ask the question, like, do you receive a salary? I'm just like, get out. <laughs> you know, like, you're not going to like it here, right? Just go. First uh, Timothy chapter 5, look at verse number 17. For, um, yeah, First Timothy chapter 5, look at verse 17. Notice what the Bible says. First Timothy 5, 17. Let the elders that rule well, again, they're ruling, they're leading, they're administering. Be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. And this idea of honor, and I don't have time to develop, well, let's look at it. Honor in the Bible has to do with taking care of someone financially. Notice, notice verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 5. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren. The elder women as mothers, the younger as widows with all purity. Honor widows that are widows indeed. But if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable for God. Now, here's what he's saying. he's saying. He's saying, look, honor widows that are widows indeed. What he's saying is, as a church, we ought to financially take care of a widow. And look, I, I mean, I don't advertise this a lot, but at Verity Baptist Church, if one of our ladies here, you know, suddenly had their husband die and, you know, they weren't they didn't have the means to be taken care of, then we would step in and take care of them. 
Now, you guys, go get life insurance, all right? You know, and make sure you take care of your family. But Because notice what he says, verse 3. Honor widows that are widows indeed. But if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to requite, uh, uh, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable for God. Here's what he's saying. If they have children or nephews, their children and nephews ought to take care of them first. And their life insurance and all those things. Verse 5. Now, she that is a widow indeed and desolate trusteth in God and continue in supplication and prayers night and day. Now look, it's not just any widow. She's got to meet certain things. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. And these things give in charge that they may be blameless. But if any provide not for his own, especially for his own house, uh, his own house he hath denied the faith and is worse than uh, an infidel. Look, look verse 9. Let not a widow be taken into the number. Into what number? Into the number of we're going to take care of you. Let not a widow be taken into the number under three score years old. So here's the qualification. She's got to be at least that old. All right, and having the being having been the wife of one man, it's a qualification. Well, report up for good works if she have brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, if she have washed the saints' feet, if she have uh, uh, relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good 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 work. But the younger widows refuse. He said, "Look, the younger widows, you younger widows, you just need to get married. All right, <laughs> we're not you know somebody's just marry you and take care of you. But here's the point that I'm trying to make. The chapter is about taking care of widows financially. That's why he says in verse 3, honor widows that are widows indeed. That's the context. Verse 17, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. He's talking about financially taking care of your, your pastor. And I don't think he's saying, like, pay him twice as much. I, I'm just saying, I think he's saying, look, you got to honor him well. You got to take care of him. Look, pastors shouldn't be just the poorest guy in the church. You know, just people have this idea, like, if you're the pastor, you should be living, living in poverty. Look, if you're the pastor and you're working, you ought to get paid well for the work you do. Now, if you're being lazy and you're spending, you know, some pastors spend three or four days at the golf, you know, place, then, then don't pay them. But if he's paying, if he's working, if things are going well, the church is growing, people are getting saved, people are getting baptized, people are learning and growing, then pay him. Give him double honor. That's what the Bible says. So a pastor should get paid for preaching, but a pastor should not preach to get paid. Our motivation ought not be filthy lurker. And look, here's the thing. You're not going to get rich in ministry unless you're just like Benny Hinn or something, just some false prophet that's lying to people. Uh, you know, obviously, if you just love the Lord, things are going to work out. So, so go, go back to First Peter chapter 5. And look at verse number three. So here's what we talked about. The position of a pastor. We've talked about the performance. What's the position? It's a position of authority. Number one, it is a position, and it's a position of authority. It's a position of influence, not by constraint, but willingly. We talked about the performance of the pastor. He is to take heed. He is to feed. He is to lead. We talked about the payment of the pastor. A pastor ought to get paid for preaching, but he ought not preach to get paid. Number four, let's talk about the pattern of the pastor. Notice 1 Peter 5, look at verse 3. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, notice this phrase, but being in samples to the flock. But being in samples to the flock. The word in sample is our word example. And basically what he's saying is, look, the pastor should serve as a pattern of how people can look at him and look at his wife and look at uh, his family and just pattern their lives after him. Let me show it to you in other passages. Go, go back to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, look at verse number 12. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. He says, but being in samples to the flock. 1 Timothy chapter 4, look at verse 12. 1 Timothy 4, 12. Notice what the Bible says. Let no man despise thy youth. That's my life verse. <laughs> you know, people are always like, how old are you? I'm like, look, 
I'm not, it's not that I'm young, it's you're old. That's the problem. And when you get that old, everyone looks young. No, I'm just kidding. But he says, look, he says to, he says to Timothy, he says, let no man despise thy youth. Because being an elder is not about being an elder physically. It's about being an elder spiritually. And look, I mean, people ought to be able to tell when a guy gets up to preach whether this guy knows what he's talking about or not. I mean, who's ever listened to a guy preach and you're just like, this guy has no clue what he's talking about. I mean, this guy, I, I doubt he's even read the Bible. So people should be able to tell if you're spiritually mature. He says, let no man despise thy youth. Knows what he says. But be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Now, I want you to understand something about this idea of being a pattern. Because people have a false understanding of this. And here's what they think. They look at the qualifications of a pastor, right? And they'll look at, you know, he's got to be the husband of one wife. He's got to rule his house well. He's got to do all these things. And then they'll say like, oh, the pastor is supposed to be, you know, like better. His wife is supposed to be better than all the other women in church. He's supposed to be better than all the guys in church. His children are supposed to be more well-behaved than all the guys in church, all the other kids in church. And they'll, they'll get this idea like the pastor is supposed to be, you know, he meets these qualifications. We're normal people over here, so we can just do whatever. We don't have to be as faithful. We don't have to be as sold out. The pastor, but notice what the Bible says, 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example. I want you to notice this, not to the believers, but of the believers. Did you catch that? It's not that he's supposed to be an example to the believers like, I'm an example for you guys. No, no, no. I'm not an example to the believers. I'm to be an example of the believers. Here's what that means. You ought to be able to look at my life and say, okay, what pastor's doing, that's what I should be doing. Or look at my marriage and say, the way his marriage is, that's how my marriage ought to be. Or the way he's raising his children, that's how I ought to raise my children. It's not that you ought to look at the pastor and say, well, he shows up, you know, he goes home winning, or he does this, or he does that because he's the pastor. No, no, no. The job of a pastor is to be an example of, not to, the believers. So all those qualifications for the pastor, we all ought to be striving to have those. Because here's what God said. Here's what Paul told Timothy. He said, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. You say, why? So that people can look at you and see what a believer is supposed to look like. He said, be thou an example of the believers. Now, here's the thing. I'm in to be an example to you. That's my job. Your job is to follow. Can you go back to Hebrews 13? Look at verse number 7. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Notice what the Bible says. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God. That's preaching. Notice, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. You are to look at the pastor and then say, that's what I'm going to do. You are to look at the pastor and then say, that's where I'm going to go. You have to look at the pastor. Look, if you want to, if you say, you know, you, you ladies say, well, I'm not sure how should I dress. You know, you just look at how my wife dresses. That's how you ought to dress. So, well, does your wife just have it all? No, but here's the thing. We've looked at the scripture, and we've made sure that she's the right example for women and that I'm the right example for men. And, and, and we're trying to raise our children in a way, and I don't look at my children and say, well, they got to be right, but we're trying to raise them in a way that would be a good example for you to raise your children the same way. Because the job of a pastor is to be the pattern of the example of the believers, not to the believers, but your job is to then follow. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let me just give you a couple verses. We'll be done. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I know I said I was going to get you out of here early for Mother's Day, but here's the thing. Your mom's already mad at you if you didn't call her, right? 
She's already mad at you if you forgot, so you might as well just get the Bible in, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse 16. 1 Corinthians 4, 16. Wherefore, I beseech you, notice what Paul said, be ye followers of me. He said, be ye followers of me. 1 Corinthians 11, 1. He says, be ye followers of me. 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now look, you ought not just do what I do just because I'm the pastor. But if I'm doing something because I'm following Christ, then you ought to follow in the same way. You ought to follow in the same direction. You ought to look at the pastor and the pastor's wife and the pastor's family and say, no, 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 it's not that they're doing that because they're these extreme fanatics. No, 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 it's we're trying to be a pattern, an example for you. And by the way, you know, let, let me say this because sometimes I don't think people really get this. I went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. My wife and I went soul winning, you know, years and years and years and years before I was ever a pastor. And let me say this because we have a lot of commuters in our church. We lived in Sacramento and went to church in Vacaville, which is like 45, 50 minutes away. I, I understand that's not as far as some of you drive, but it's a drive. And we went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, soul winning on a Saturday. That's why I don't feel that bad getting up here and just preaching three to thrive, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, soul winning, just show up and quit your, your excuses. I don't feel that bad because we did it. We were faithful. We tried to be the pattern before we were the pastor. And, we, and that's what every Christian ought to be doing. That's what we all, ought to, we all ought to be sold out. So we saw the position of a pastor. We saw the performance of a pastor. We saw the payment of a pastor. We saw the pattern of a pastor. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verse number 12. We're almost done. I just want to show you a couple more verses. I know I said that, but there's another page. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verse 12. Let me just show you this quickly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verse 12. Let me, let me say this. You know, I can't complain. As a pastor, I can't complain. We have a great church family here. You guys take care of us. You take care of us financially, and you take care of us. You know, you, you are, you're a great church, and I, I love our church, and it's my privilege to, to be the pastor here and, um, and all of that. So I'm not, it's not like I'm, as a pastor, did you preach this whole series just to have this one sermon to deal with issues? I don't, there's nothing, no issues to deal with. You guys are great. Well, some of you, most of you. Um, but, but, but here's the thing, the, you know, it's, it's a crown, and we want to deal with it. But let me say this, you know. In 1 Thessalonians 5.12, the Bible says this. 1 Thessalonians 5.12, it says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord. You see this? It's repeated over and over. The pastor is to rule you. The pastor is to be your over you. He's over you in the Lord. Now, not, not in your life. I, don't, I, don't, I preach against TV. I don't go to your house and say, Get me that TV right now. Okay, now I try, to get, I try to get you to not watch TV, try to get you to not waste time on whatever, but it's, it's by influence, right? Now, but notice what he says, and we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, that's lead, and admonish you, that's feed, notice verse 13, to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. The Bible says you ought to esteem your pastor, that means to think of them. And, and, and to treat them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourself. You know that you ought to esteem and love your pastor? Say, Pastor, this is a, you're getting, this is a little too much, okay? Look, don't, don't, I'm not saying it for me. And, you know, if you move somewhere and go to another church, esteem your pastor highly in love. If I die and whoever takes over, I mean, they're probably going to mess it all up. But just love them, you know, just help them. Just esteem them highly in love. Uh, recently, I was preaching on a Tuesday night somewhere, 
And uh, I was there on a Tuesday night. It was a, it was a, two, a special Tuesday night service they were having. And they were still going to have a Wednesday night service the next day. And there was a lot of people that came out for the service. And, you know, I, I said this at the service. I said, hey, I appreciate you being here to hear me preach on this special Tuesday night service. But I, I, I said to the people, I said, you know, you, you should make sure you're here on Wednesday night to hear your pastor. Don't just show up because, like, oh, the guest speaker's here. And then skip out on your own pastor. And, in fact, you know, it'd be better for you. This is what I said. If, if, if you can only come to one service, leave now and come back tomorrow night for your pastor. Because people ought to esteem their pastor. You know, they ought to love their pastor. And, and today, because of YouTube and because of the Internet and because of TV preachers, you've got people that will go to one church, but it's like, but I really love this pastor. I mean, I go to this guy's church because that's the only one I can find. But really, this person is the one. But you know what? That's a wrong attitude. And that's a bad attitude. And you are not, because here's the thing, the, the, the guy in your community, the guy on TV, he's not going to visit you in the hospital. The guy on TV, he's not praying for your family. The guy on TV, he doesn't know you. He doesn't care. Or the guy on YouTube, he doesn't know you. The guy that's there locally preaching, praying, working, that's the guy you ought to love. That's the guy you ought to see. You say, are you saying this? Look, I, look don't do it for me. I'm fine. I, I got enough people calling me, all right? I don't need, you know, I've got enough people loving on us. It's great. I'm not saying for me. I'm just saying, if you move, if someone else comes, love that guy. Pray for that guy. Esteem him. Do well by him. Now, let me give you a couple of things. You say, well, how, how, do, how can I be a blessing to our pastor? Money's good. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know, how to be a blessing. You guys say Gary was financial. I'm, I'm just joking. How to be a blessing to your pastor. Let me give you a couple of things to be, how to be a blessing to your pastor, okay? Just real quickly, practical things, how to be a blessing. Number one, be kind to my wife and my children. You want to be a blessing to me? Don't give grief to my wife and don't give grief to my children. I, I wish I could explain this, and I talk to pastors, and, and it seems like it's, it's, you kind of have to be a pastor to get what I'm saying, but I'm going to try. You'd be shocked the amount of pressure that my wife and my children, my children are, are the oldest is eight, and the expectations that are put on these kids sometimes, the things that people say to them, it's just ridiculous. And my wife, people expect her to be superwoman. People expect her to be there for everything, to be available for every little thing, you know. Hey, look, just you want to be a blessing to your pastor? Be kind to my wife. Be kind to my children. Realize that they're just people. Realize that I'm just a person. Let me give you another way to be a blessing to your pastor. Show up. Show up to church. You want to be a blessing to your pastor? Keep your money. Just show up to church. That'd be nice. You know, all week long, I'm studying and praying and I, I, I've, got a, I've got you, if you come to our church and you've given me your name, I've got you on a prayer list that I pray through every week. My wife has you on a prayer list that she prays through every week. And all week long, we're praying for you. All week long, I'm studying the Bible. I'm preparing to preach a sermon for you. I don't preach for the Internet. I mean, we put those sermons on the Internet, but I could care less if they go on the Internet. And for the longest time, they didn't go on the Internet. You know, it's just now that we've got help and people help us. And, and I'm thankful for the work that goes on on the Internet. But I'm preaching for you. Say, so how can I be a blessing to the pastor? Why don't you show up? Why don't you show up consistently? Hey, show up for Mother's Day. That's a good thing. Show up on Father's Day. Show up on Fourth of July. Show up on Christmas. Just be faithful. That would be a blessing. And, uh, you know, uh, show up early, too. That'd be nice, too. But go, go, to, go, uh, go to 1 Peter chapter 5, and, and we'll be done. 1 Peter chapter 5. While you go there, I'll read for you again out of Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account. 
that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. First Peter 5, 4 says this, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. The Bible says the elder that rules well, the elder that feeds, that leads, that doesn't do it for money, that does it for the right motives, the elder that's doing his job and working hard, he's going to receive a crown of glory. But let me say this, okay? There are some people, and I don't necessarily disagree with this. I don't necessarily agree with it either. It's just, let me throw this out there. There are some people who believe that the crown of glory is not just for pastors, but it's for anyone who teaches the word of God. And, you know, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But here's what I would say. The job of a pastor is to try to motivate the church to reach people and then to teach people. Everything we do ought to fall under those two umbrellas. We're reaching people, we're teaching people. We're reaching people, we're teaching people. I wake up every day and I think, how can I reach people and how can I teach people? And you know what? In your life, you ought to do the same thing. You ought to be consumed with, how can I help the church reach more people? And how can I teach? Now, look, you say, well, I'm not a pastor. I don't get up to preach on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. But you teach your children at home, right? You should. But you, but you, you know, you've got converts you're working on and you're praying for and you're trying to get them connected in church and you're trying to encourage them, right? You should. Well, no, no, that's the pastor's job. Yeah, but the pastor's supposed to be the pattern that you follow. Well, no, no, the pastor's the one that's supposed to be, you know, concerned about that family and why they haven't showed up in the last three weeks. The pastor's job, he's the one that's, no, 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 but you're supposed to do that too. It's your job to do it too. You're supposed to follow the pattern. And who knows, maybe anyone, maybe everyone who teaches will get a crown of glory. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father.